praise you right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. Turn to our opening hymn. Turning your purple hymns to number 57. Hope for a thousand hymns to sing it. Pray for our nation that's in desperate, desperate, desperate And loving memory and scandal smothered. Benny and Ken. I'm so grateful for so many that turned out for her funeral and, and kept the scandals and thoughts and prayers. So let's stand as we turn in our purple and most of number 57 verses 1.
jumping a few years ahead in 1787, the United States Constitution and the Constitution is under attack by political parties of their day. And the United States Constitution was framed by devout Christians. In fact, in fact, 53 of the 55 founding fathers, nearly unanimous, 53 of the 55 founding fathers were orthodox evangelicals whose godliness laid the foundation for 247 years of blessing and prosperity. And we see that being challenged in the courts of today. You know, those diabolical demon rats that, that challenged our form of Christianity in the Bible. Then in 1920, we see the atheist, John Dewey, introduced humanistic values into America's public school systems. And then we move a few years ahead in 1947, the Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black pronounced the wall, the wall of separation between church and state. Then in 1962, prayer was banned. Prayer was banned from public schools. And then in, just a year later, in 1963, the Bible, the Bible was banished from public schools. In 1980, the Ten Commandments are removed from most schools, courthouses, and other public government buildings and properties where they're not etched in as stones. And up until this point, the tide of godlessness is rushing at us with unprecedented speed. And does it concern us the way that it concerns God, Chris, and myself? We, we believe in the message of the Bible, the unadulterated word of God, and the movements are clear. There's an, an organized campaign to remove God's truth from our society. And can we still make a difference? Or is it too late? I believe that we can cheer up if we clear up all the ignorance of history, the ignorance that we possess. Look at our blind spots. We need to cheer up and be, we need to be encouraged for as we have found out from events in recent history, when Christians fall on their knees, circumstances change. And that gives Christians the confidence to move from just talking to talk or thinking the thoughts to action, to know that if they care enough, if they stand for righteousness and they march forward in God's promises are fulfilled. If some, by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook, that are faithfully praying for us and not only talking the talk, but they're actually walking the walk because anybody can talk the talk, even Satan. If we have been sitting on the sidelines, we need to take a stand based on the principles of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, for, for you, that's all of us Christians are, we call the salt of the earth. Let's create a hunger and, and a thirst for righteousness. Let's be alive unto a world that is dying. It's truly dying without Christ. Only then can we be truly be ambassadors to heal our land according to 2 
Chronicles chapter 7, 4, 4, and remind us daily of this prayer and this need. Reveal to us our blind spots, our biases, and our prejudices. As you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you're joining us by way of television or radio or other means of communication, we always encourage you to follow along our scripture as we make our way through John's gospel. It's taken from John 11 chapter. John chapter 11 verses 36 to 46. John chapter 11 verses 36 to 46. Reading now from God's word as he blesses us and encourages us not only to hear but to apply his words to our way. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning. That word groaning means actual, um, like a uh, hard for us males to understand when labor pains or life pains experiencing labor, true labor, intensifying groaning. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. And it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, and I'm so glad to see Martha with us. Is that why you were named? Your name Martha? Martha? Martha, the sister of Lazarus that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. You know, other translations say he's decayed. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto to Martha, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory, the glory of God. And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people, because of the people which stand by, I said that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Say with me this morning, come forth. Lazarus, come out. Amen. And that's how we need to take authority in the name of Jesus over the problems that we occur and we see. We need to claim authority to come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed. Believe not, Jesus. But some of them, and there's always going to be some during Jesus' day and 
many during our day. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and they told them what things Jesus had done. And God bless the reading and hearing of this word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Good morning. Our first, first verse today really strongly lives to one conclusion that being God, Jesus lowered himself to our level. He was crying because he had a complete spectrum of human emotions and feelings. Some that saw him crying question why the same man that made the blind man see could not save his own friend from death. His crying proves that he would not leave his deity who led his deity overcome his humanity. And that fact displays all the more his great power. After this, Jesus approached the tomb. As usual, the tomb had a great stone place blocking the entrance. This stone weighed hundreds of thousands of pounds and it was to prevent tomb robbers. It was on midnight. It was to prevent tomb robbers from going into the city because I was killed. Martha protested when Jesus asked for a stone to be removed because she thought that after moving, the stench from four days of body decay would come off from the tomb. Here the Lord reminded them, her and them, that they would see the glory of God. And many men moved the stone up to his front. This should remind us to stay strong in our faith, despite life circumstances or whatever it throws at us. Because despite knowing that there was a dead body for four days behind the stone, they went down and moved the stone anyway, because the Lord asked them to do it. Jesus looked up to heaven and thanked God for the miracle that was about to be done. He knew about the miracle. Before it even happened, he knew what was going to happen. This is the perfect example of faith for us. We don't look at things as the way they are. Oh, I'm having such a bad day, Bill. No, don't look at that. Look at tomorrow. It's going to be better. Faith is what we don't see, what we know is going to be. How it's going to turn out, that's faith. Jesus continued speaking and said they were good as what's going to happen because of their faith that God had sent Jesus to them. He faced it to him and yelled, Lazarus, come out! This is a metaphor for Jesus, Jesus calling us out of our earthly bodies. After he called them, Lazarus walked out of the grave, still wrapped in the two grave clothes. I want to remind you this was a resuscitation, not a resurrection. With the grave wraps and the former crop, Jesus told him to remove them, so again, was free. Again, this metaphor of Christ is like us. When we pass from the earth here, Jesus, your name, come out. We're out of this, we're out of this place. We are to join Jesus in new eternal bodies. Some that witnessed that miracle came to faith in Jesus this fall. She brought dead people back. He's obviously God's power. But with others, it had the opposite effect. And they ran to the Pharisees and tattled on Jesus, and he was raised from the dead. That report solidified their opposition to Jesus. Because they had power. They had power over the people. Who was Jesus to come and claim power from them? That solidified their opposition to Jesus and kind of put it into a movement. What they want to do was get rid of them 
participation. But they did that. Oh, they killed a man. They showed him that they, they did. They were accomplishing, completing God's perfect work. The authorities that reflect Jesus, our King Jesus, retained their spirit image. They lost it. And we came Mike and Tina, Tina and Mike, welcome you back. You good to be back? Great to be back. Have you recovered from the vacation yet?
I've had individuals say to me that they, they went to heaven and one of the reasons that they give so much is that their first glimpse of heaven, they were expecting a mansion and all they'd seen was an outhouse. And the response was, well, that's all you sent ahead is money for some toilet paper and an outhouse. While others contributed proportionately better than them. Now, why, why did our Lord say it's because doubtless as easy for Jesus to, to command the stone to roll away untouched as to call a dead body from the tomb? But such was not Jesus' mode of proceeding. Here, as elsewhere, Jesus taught a great lesson that his almighty power was not meant to destroy our responsibilities. It used to be where, where 60% of the people, so-called Christians, would, would give and prosper the church. Then it became not 60-40, it became almost 70-30, where 70% 70 of what was needed in the church was only given by 30% of the people. And now, according to Gallup and Harris and statistical, statistical polls, that 20% of the givers operate 80% of the church. That means 80% are just submitting offerings that hardly cover their, their stewardship envelopes, hardly cover the, the amount that's needed to be raised in any functioning of the church where you lie. Is your home in heaven going to be like? Is it going to be an outhouse or will it be in a mansion? Here, as in other cases, Jesus chose to give us something to do. He chose to give us, give us something to do. And in spite of our rationalizations, here, as elsewhere, he taught the great lesson that, that his almighty power was not meant to destroy our responsibilities, our responses, what we're going to be held for, stewardship of our time, our talents, and our treasures, our giving of our time. Even when Jesus was ready and willing to raise the dead, he would not have us stand by altogether idle. Too much idleness going on. Let us treasure this in our memories. It involves a point of great importance in doing spiritual good to others and training up our children for heaven and concerns of our children and our grandchildren. It's said that our children and our grandchildren are not great givers because they've never seen the first generation as true givers of their time and their talents and their treasures. It's almost like a balloon that suddenly evaporates and suddenly the air is down from the importance and significance. And on down to they've seen that the errors and the weaknesses of parents and grandparents and in doing spiritual good to others and training up our children for heaven and following after holiness in our own daily walk. In all these things, it's undoubtedly true that we are weak and we are helpless. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But still, we must remember that Christ expects us to do what we can. And what does he say? Take away the stone. What kind of stones do you have in your in your heart. I've never had the experience of trying to pass a kidney stone, but I understand it's preventative painful. Take away a stone 
is the daily command, the daily commandment that Jesus gives us. Let us beware that we do not stand still in idleness under the pretense of humility. You can certainly talk the talk. Are you walking the walk? Let us daily try to do what we can, and in trying, Christ will meet us and grant his blessing. First, secondly, secondly, we should mark the words which our Lord addressed to Martha when she objected to the stone being removed from the grave. I grew up in the farming community. Farmers were great givers because they realized that they would never get a crop unless they planted it. They tilled the soil, they planted it, they fertilized it, they cultivated it, they took care of it. And they took that seriously in, in their giving. They never really gave financially to the church until they developed that lifestyle of planting and sowing, sowing and tilling. And they realized that any farmer that did not till the soil and take care of the soil and plant a seed could not expect a crop. And they realized that was a true truth in the church too, that in order to get, they had to get. And they realized that principle of Malachi that will people rob God? And the answer was, yes, they rob God in their tithes and their offerings, in their gifts of stewardship. The faith of this holy woman com completely broke down when the cave where her beloved brother lay was about to be thrown open. She could not believe that it was, was of any use. And Lord, she says, by this time he what? Stinking. Stinking. I think there's a lot of stinking Christians. Would they be able to live on ten times what they give to the church? When Jesus calls us to tithe, give our tithes, offerings, we're going to be judged on, on our sins of commission and also on our sins of omission, the things that we've omitted to do. She could not believe it was of any use because she said, Lord, she cries, by this time he stinketh, he stinketh. And then it comes in the solemn reproof of our Lord, and Jesus says, should, he said, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, if you wouldest believe, Thou shouldest see the glory of God. What kind of seed are we planting in? The seeds of faith, the seeds of our giving, the seeds of our thoughts, the seeds of our rest. That sentence is rich in meaning. It's far from unlikely that it contains a reference to the message had been sent to Martha and Mary when, when their brother first fell sick. It may be meant to remind Martha that her master had sent her word sent her word. This sickness, you recall, is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. The glory of God. But it is perhaps more likely that our Lord desired to recall to Martha's mind the old lesson he had taught them through all of his sermons and through all of his messages and his ministry, the duty of always believing, using your lips, and then using your hands and Finding what Christ would do with other members of your body. It's, it's as though he said, Martha, Martha, thou art forgetting the great doctrine of faith and, and action, which he reminded even of his brother. In the book of James, he says, faith without works, faith without, faith without doing. 
in Gideon. It's not real faith. Jesus said, you have taught them to believe. Believe and all will be well. Fear not, only believe. The lesson is one which we can never know too well. How apt our, our, our faith is to break down in a time of trial. How easy it is to talk of faith and, and good works in the days of health and, and prosperity and how hard it is to practice faith in the days of darkness and poverty when neither sun or moon nor stars appear. Let us pray. Let us pray and let us lay to heart what our Lord says in his place. Let us pray, pray for such stores, such stores of inward faith that when our turn comes to suffer, we'll have a reserve. We'll have a reserve to fall back on. We may suffer patiently and believe all is well. The Christian who has ceased to say, I must see, I must see, then I will believe has little faith. But it was learned to say, I believe, I believe, and by and by I shall see, has reached this high degree in the school of Christ. And we should mark thirdly, thirdly, the words which our Lord addressed to God the Father when the stone was taken from the grave. God, we read that he said, Father, I thank thee, I thank thee, that thou hast heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people, the people, and there's always gawkers. I never understood what gawking was all about until I moved down to the cities. They talked about it on local news, traffic doctors, but there's also Christian doctors that are always looking, gawking. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, those gawkers, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Now this is wonderful language. You go to the Greek, you go to the Hebrew, you find it. It's totally unlike anything said by the prophets or the apostles when they work miracles. In fact, it's, it's not a prayer, but it's a praise. It evidently implies a constant mysterious communion going on between Jesus and his Father in heaven, which it is past the power of humanity either to explain or conceive. We need not doubt that here, as elsewhere in St. John, our Lord meant to teach the Jews who were to be supportive because they were supposedly the religious ones, holders of the Torah teachings. Our Lord meant to teach the Jews the entire and complete unity there was between Jesus and his Father. In all that he did, as well as in all that he taught, once more he would remind them that he did not come among them as a mere prophet, but as the Messiah who was sent by the Father and who was with the Father. Once more he would have them know that, that these words which he spake were the very words which the Father gave him to speak. So the works which he would do and which were wrought with the very works which the Father gave him to do. In short, it was the promised Messiah, the truth, the life, and the way who they were in opposition towards, and which is that demonic spirit which is in the world today, which major Bible scholars 
heard Frank and Graham say that all hell is breaking loose in the last few months. Deep and high is his truth. It's a, it's a piece of our souls to believe it thoroughly and to, to grasp it tightly. Let it be a settled principle of our of our religion that the Savior in whom we trust is nothing less than the eternal God, the one in whom the Father hears always, one who is very in every deed is God's fellow. A very clear view of the dignity of our mediator's person is one secret of his inner inward comfort. And happy is the one who can say, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 12, I know whom I have believed and that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. We should mark in closing the words which our Lord addressed to Lazarus when he raised him from the grave. We read that he cried. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, say it with me. Come forth. Come forth. Say it again, louder. Come forth. And at that sound of that voice, the king of cares at once yielded up his, his lawful, his lawful captive, and the insatiable grave gave up his prey. At once he that was dead came forth and bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And the greatest of this miracle cannot possibly be exaggerated. The mind of man can scarcely take in the vastness of the work that was done. Here in open daylight and before many hostile witnesses, a man that was four days dead, it was undisputed claim that he was dead for four days, was restored to life in a few moments. Here is a public proof that our Lord had absolute power over the material world. Power over the material world. A corpse, a corpse already corrupt was made alive. Here was a public proof that our Lord had absolute power over the, the world of spirits. A soul that had left its earthly tenement was called back from paradise and joined once more to his owner's body. You tell, you tell me what the, that testimony meant, Lazarus had. And well may the Church of Christ maintain that, that he who could work such works was God over all blessed forever, according to Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Father, this morning as we pray for those who are joining us by way of television and YouTube and other means, we thank you for your hand of presence upon Kathy Krauss and Gary Krauss and Chandler and the Krauss family. We pray for the Betty Sandal family and Ed. Let us turn from this whole passage and pray with thoughts of comfort and consolation as we realize our mortality, our finitude, our need for the immortal one. Comfortable is the thought that the loving Savior of sinners and whom, whose mercy our souls entirely depend is one who is all power in heaven and earth and is mighty to save. Comfortable is the thought that there is no sinner too far gone in sin for Christ to raise and convert. Move us and urge us from our biases and our prejudices in the area of our giving of our time and our talents and our our treasures, 
he that stood by the grave of Lazarus can say to the virus, come forth, loose him and let him go. And we pray that we be confronted by that spirit, that we come forth, that we be loosed, let us go. Comfortable, not least, is the thought that when we ourselves lie down in the graves, we will not have any second thoughts about the giving of our time and our talents and our treasures to the kingdom of God. We may lie down in the full assurance that we shall rise again, proud of what we've done. And the voice that called Lazarus forth will, will come one day, pierce our tombs, our graves, and bid our souls and our bodies come together. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, 52, the trumpets shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. As we wait upon you for your tithes and offerings, let us turn to our, our offertory prayer and you join me in the prayer and in our bulletins. O God, whose name was on the lips of the men who founded this nation and on the lips of men who died for be with us yet. Guide us through this period of crisis, confusion, and insecurity. Keep us steadfast in remembering the truths our forefathers lived by. Restore our innocence, renew our vision, enter our hearts, and keep us brave. Keep us as Americans the strength to do your work through our giving and sacrifice, and to make this country worthy of our, your blessing. The offertory again is in memory of Janet Story, who is Marilyn Borden's sister. Breathe on me, breath of God, purple number 420, please. And Audrey, if you want to come forward and sing with Grandma,
who have always been free can understand the terrible fascination of the power and the hope of freedom for those who are not free. Patriotism consists not in waving the flag and cross and just kneeling, but in striving that our country shall be righteous as well as wrong. Intellectually and spiritually, we know that America is no better than any other country. Emotionally, we know she's better than every other country. This country will not be a good place for any of us to live in unless we make it a good place for all of us to live in. And those who deny freedom to others deserve it not themselves, and under a just God cannot long attain it. When good people in any country cease their vigilance and struggle, then evil will prevail. As we go forth, Lord, we go forth with your blessing of inspiration and fortitude and backbone. Before we speak a word, may others see in our faces that the world has been turned upside down. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.